Hey everyone, we're in conversation with one and only Dr. Leah Davy. She is, uh, I would say, I hope a friend. Uh, yes, you are, Leah. Um, but also an incredibly well thought, uh, articulate, and thinker of organizations, teams, and people in those organizations. She's written New York Times bestseller, uh, You First. And of course, her most recent is this baby, The Good Fight. She's so uh, which which I love. <laughs> we're we're sadly not going to talk about the good fight or you first. We're actually going to talk about the so-called great resignation, Leanne. And you know, I have chatted for years about culture, employee engagement, employee experience, teams, and all that is uh, in that realm. Is the great resignation actually something that we should be paying attention to, or is there something behind the scenes, perhaps, that we need to pay more attention to? Is there any there there? Um, <laughs> right, Zig Ziglar, let's go. Yeah, I, I think there is a there there in this case. So I was looking at some of the data and it does look, if I look back over the past 20 years at resignation rates and turnover rates, it looks like we're about a third higher than other peaks. So that says to me like, okay, that that's a real phenomenon. There is something happening. People are turning over, uh, resigning from their jobs at a significantly higher rate. So, so that's one thing. But I think qualitatively what's so different is the stories I'm hearing. So I used to hear people tell stories, you know, in the, in the top of the McKinsey war for talent era, people like, or dot-com even, if we think back that far. And, and people were like, well, I'm going to make $30,000 more if I go with this new company or I'm going to get this awesome executive title. People used to jump, usually thinking that the grass was greener. That's always existed. Right. I think what's different about the great resignation is I'm hearing stories of people jumping with nowhere to go. I don't know how I'm going to pay my rent in two months or three months, but I know that I will be so sick, so unhealthy, I won't be here if I don't jump now. So that feels qualitatively very different and really important. And it's why I've actually gone deep now. I'm doing a whole series on toxic workplaces because I think this is this is not a fish jumping from one bowl to another bowl, like that silly stock art photo. Right. This right. is a fish jumping out of the bowl onto the counter, figuring, well, at least I got a few seconds <laughs> to find oxygen. Whereas if I stay in this bowl, I'm I'm in trouble. So it feels qualitatively real and different to me, not just quantitatively um, something out of the norm. So interesting. Uh, couldn't agree more on the the lead up to this. You know, if we look back to the horrors of 2021, um, we saw a lot of frontline team members um, disembarking from their role. So whether they were you know, the pizza driver, the healthcare worker, you know, the corporate store in the mall worker saying enough of this, you know, all the servers, some because of the restaurants closing, some because they've just had enough. Are you suggesting as well now, as we've entered into the, uh, the hallows of 2022 from the horrors of 2021, are you suggesting then some of the intel that you're seeing and reviewing and researching and analyzing is that it's not just frontline team members, you're seeing something more? 
Yeah, I think we're going to start to see it a lot more in the the knowledge worker level, in the professional level, in management and leadership layers, uh, where people just say no more. So whether that, and and we did see some early retirements kind of happening, right. where where people were being expected to to lead through this, and they were like, I'm I'm out, I'm tapping out, and, and retiring maybe a little earlier than they might have. Um, I think we're going to see lots of shifts to self-employment. You know, this is something you and I figured out a while back. It didn't take a pandemic. We're like, why are we working for the man? <laughs> so, you know, I think I think some of us figured it out. I think now that the gig economy is making self-employment viable for more and more and more types of roles, I think we're going to see more of the knowledge worker professional class doing the exact same thing. I think one of the reasons I've been doing some work on what are the components of a toxic workplace, uh, and I've kind of come down to five categories. So ooh, let's go. I like this. Who, who doesn't love a nice taxonomy? It's <laughs> <laughs> like so, uh, top 10, but five and better. So let's go. We're let's such hear. nerds, Dan. Um, okay. So uh, one, I was, I, I heard people talk about toxic organizations and I always ask myself, what the heck is an organization? Yeah. <laughs> like, isn't it just individuals? The only thing I could come up with is that we have policies and processes and those outlive any given individuals. So first category, toxic policies. So uh, some of those frontline workers, it's the way scheduling works. Yeah. It's what their workplaces look like. It, you know, those sorts of things that are about how compensation is paid out, those sorts of things that are kind of toxic policies and processes, toxic culture, which is, it's not about any one individual. It's about the norms of how we as a collective behave. So toxic policies and processes, toxic culture, toxic bosses and toxic leaders, toxic coworkers, because lots of the issues that are making our organizations toxic are just our peers or jerks or whatever. But the really exciting one, um, because I'm doing this campaign on LinkedIn, (laughs) engaging people. Well, I know it's so, it's so wrong. I relish things that I I shouldn't sound so excited. I'm excited as a psychologist learning about the construct of toxicity. Um, But the one that one of my friends, Mike Ganino, um, got me onto was we don't talk enough about toxic customers. And so what, you know, a lot of these cases, it's our customer expectations that are toxic, that are unrealistic. It's, it's our, um, you know, them expecting things, uh, holding their business in an ultimatum of if we don't do, you know, customers can be toxic in all sorts of ways. So those are the five quite different and in many cases, independent dimensions that I think can make your workplace toxic. Certainly there are lots where it's double and triple whammies of multiple of those things. Um, And so those to me feel like legitimate issues that if you're facing some of these things, it is truly a threat to your, your physical or your mental safety. So psychological safety or physical health and safety. And, you know, we should also talk about how I think there's also a culture where people cry psychological safety at things. They're like, no, no, honey, that's just a little constructive feedback. Like, I know that you got a trophy for coming 10th at the dance competition, but this is a workplace. So I, I, I do think there's both. And if, if that's toxic to you, cause you're not getting enough gold stars. Okay. Join the great resignation, but I, I want to differentiate between things that are, uh, 
um, threats to psychological safety, things that truly are toxic and that I think we should be having a great resignation that make toxic companies suffer in a true financial sense for their toxicity, trying to differentiate that from just the snowflake issue. Well, all of it, I believe, might uh, surmise as toxic waste, Leanne. Just saying, you know. Okay. <laughs> True. So- you all, you have the best turn of phrase. You're like my favorite person for taking ideas and just like always in all your books everywhere. You always nail it. Oh, yes, there that. is a ton of like, toxic waste going on in organizations. Yeah, that's yours. I, I don't I don't want that. That's that's my gift for you for showing up today. Okay. But I, I couldn't agree more. I love the five. I mean, yeah. I have to spend time tackling all five of these. I, I actually hadn't thought about the toxic customer point, and Ganino is amazing, so awesome to that. But yeah. when you think about it, if you're in the gig economy and you've left that full-time role, you're now entering into another dimension, which is you, you have to feed your family and pay the rent. So do you say yes to every customer that or client that comes your way and you have to deal with them? And then, well, does that create the angst and, and frustration and demeaning kind of work world that's different from being a full-time employee going into the the other four that you actually alluded to that's a really uh, interesting one not that we won't go back and talk to you about the other four no but isn't it interesting yeah it's yeah. fascinating and i think it's it's extremely so i've spent the last two years shedding my toxic customers and I, I literally have said goodbye to customers that were significant amounts of revenue because I'm like, life's too short, baby. And, and I understood that their behavior um, was toxic to me. I'm not sure it was, nothing was, you know, unethical or inappropriate. Or, it was just toxic to my ability to do work, add value, um, plan my life, you know, customers that are constantly changing expectations or saying one thing and doing another or changing deadlines or all those sorts of things. So it, it wasn't working for me. Um, I think it's true in the corporate environment as well. And somebody was was helping me think um, on my LinkedIn couch, as I refer to my LinkedIn, <laughs> somebody came sat on my LinkedIn couch and was saying to me the one of the big issues is the um, intersection of a toxic boss and toxic customers when the boss allows the customer to have these ridiculous expectations to go with the customer is always right. And I thought, oh yeah, that's a really nasty spot to be not only when you've got this toxic customer coming at you, but when your boss is on their side instead of protecting you from them. So that's a double whammy of toxic waste. Oh my gosh, that is... um appalling really at the end of the day okay so if we go back to one of the four um you know the toxic boss toxic leader you know the adage which whether or not you believe it through research or not you know people don't leave companies or organizations they leave bosses i'll believe that halfway because i think it's an amalgam right of uh all five of the toxicity pieces the waste that you've alluded to so let's let's dig a little deeper Today, here we are at the beginning of 2022 and the bosses and the leaders. Yeah. So if I'm a boss or a leader, um, why should I be frightened of what's about to happen over the next 12 months? Like, what is it that they're doing that's allowing the goldfish to jump out of the bowl onto the, you know, the countertop without another bowl to go to? Because yeah. they're like, forget it. I'm out. Tapping out. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think we have the. Uh, sort of the toxins as in, um, you know, 
carbon monoxide, <laughs> like the, the toxins that are like, whew, it'll get you right away. Right. And that's leaders that are screaming and yelling and, uh, you know, like there's that sort of noxious immediate yeah. stuff. I'm, we all know what that is. I'm more interested in toxins that are more like BPA in our water bottles that are killing us slowly. And I think the leader behaviors there are all about the complete failure of leaders to prioritize. And I think that's what's killing us slowly. And we might, some people might be jumping out of the bowl. Some people may be boiling in the bowl, but um, I think that's the number one toxic thing leaders are doing right now. They are robbing people of the ability to focus, to understand what matters most, to end their day feeling a sense of satisfaction, uh, to you know, focus on their workload instead of being overwhelmed by this thought load of the 17 things you haven't got to. So my number one, and and I will admit it's not as acutely toxic as some other behaviors, but my number one toxin building in our systems in 2022 is leaders who don't have the guts or the smarts or the whatever to prioritize. Um, They're number one on my hit list. Wow. And then that prioritization or lack thereof. Sorry, was that, was that was, a bit much? <laughs> Get a little like, passionate. You need a mic this. drop there. You need, you need <laughs> some sort of like vinyl or plastic microphone when you do these things and mic drop that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's pretty good. So on, but on that lack thereof of prioritization skills, like what, what do you have a top five of that? Is it prioritizing, uh, prioritizing, sorry, the uh, the care for the employee? Is it on the decision-making? Is it like, yeah, just the work, just the uh, workload. So prioritizing workload. And I would say if I, if I were to go one notch deeper into that, I would say where leaders are really failing us is that, you know, the CEO has their priorities and then each executive sitting around the table, here's that walks away, turns that into their priorities and never comes back to understanding the, how those things align or fail to align across departments ever again. So I think we're, we're bad at prioritizing within the vertical and within the chain of command. We are atrocious at understanding, okay, if as the product team, these are my most important product priorities for the year, what do I need for marketing? What does that mean to supply chain? What does that mean for operations? So we're walking around saying, okay, these are the five things with my smart goals that I have to get done, or I'm going to get in trouble and I'm not going to get my bonus. And, but nobody has ever aligned those priorities with the people in the other departments. I'm completely dependent on to be able to do those things. That's toxic. We're basically saying to people, you can't succeed because we couldn't be bothered uh, aligning priorities to the point that this thing actually makes sense as a system. Um, it's it's awful. The uh, it's the super salacious silos effect. Isn't it? <gasps> there are super salacious silo problems in uh, pretty much every organization that that I've. Um, interacted with lately. And so the problem is that dominoes fall. So this was my uh, priority. This was the thing, maybe even I was able to focus on my one most important thing, but to accomplish my one most important thing, I need you 
to do this thing. And if it wasn't even on your list and you haven't done it, all of a sudden I'm even failing and having the heightened anxiety and having to manage that increased thought load of how do I move the needle on something I'm accountable for, but can't actually do or deliver when you have misaligned priorities from me. So this, this is a toxin that is slowly building up in all of us. And I think more and more, and as we move on and maybe as things open up a little bit, people are just going to say, I'm done. Uh, like, I, I, I can't, I, I never feel good anymore. Like I, t- when, when my dad was alive, we used to talk about, he worked at this accounting firm and they had a clean desk policy at the end of each day, you had to finish your work, clean your desk, and you couldn't leave till your desk was clean. Who, who has had a clean desk in the last five years? Like who's been able to say at the end of the day, I'm done and feel good about themselves, feel that they've accomplished something meaningful. God, no one I know. We just go to, we, we leave work, first of all, feeling like guilty that we've waited too long to actually go home to our families and they're going to be mad at us. And, and, you know, then we're feeling badly that we didn't actually get everything accomplished. We needed to, it's, it's that that's toxic. <laughs> also, uh, having being raised or raising three teenagers, uh, think we're teaching them to clean their rooms that way come on it's just it's life skills you, you got to find stuff in your room right you got to find stuff exactly in- that yeah I, I people used to say that to me because I'm a very messy person they'd be like you know um messy desk messy mind or like you know what the lord says messy desk messy mind I'd be like empty desk <laughs> like, my creativity like, I, I, like empty desk yeah. empty mind yeah yeah one of the things, uh, Leon, one of the things you talked about was that on the prioritization thread, you know, was the cascading or lack thereof, right, of collaboration really on what the enterprise or organization wants, what the CEO or the C-suite's looking at, and then those kind of super salacious silos we alluded to. But it, it, it hearkened back to one of your other um, toxicity uh, top five, if I can call them that, yeah. which were the policies and the processes and the procedures, essentially. <sighs> And so organizations, uh, particularly medium to large size, maybe not so much small, but in the medium to large size are often uh, still all about, which is the time of season we're in right now as we record this in the beginning of January, on the, the goals of the year, right? The PPOs, the performance objectives, the MBOs, you name it, they've, you know, everyone- PPIs, smart goals. We got exactly. acronyms of the wazoo. Right. And so everyone is fastidiously right now trying to create their smart goals related to whatever the boss wants, but they're doing it in isolation. So is it fair to say that one of your toxicity pieces of policies, procedures, et cetera, processes is, is something for us to actually look at if we don't want people to leave? Yeah, absolutely. Because if, if I can't possibly achieve what you're holding me accountable for achieving, because our budgeting system, our prioritization system, our cascading of performance management goals gets in the way. Absolutely. That's toxic. It's ridiculous. And so, yeah, we, we have to look at that kind of thing. Absolutely. Okay. So now now this is where I want to go a little deeper. And that is, it begs the question, um, we're in a pandemic. Again, some tell us that it'll eventually end. So let's knock on wood and hope so. But has the toxicity uh, always been there? Is it been exacerbated by the pandemic? And now people saying, you know what, just forget it. This has been building up to the moment. I've been looking at myself 
you know, in a, in a Zoom, in a Teams, you know, in a Cisco WebEx um, call for the better part of two years, I've been staring at myself because I don't know how to turn off the self webcam option. Is it that? Is it people now essentially crystallizing what has been going on with all essentially five of your toxicity pieces and saying enough's enough? Yeah. Yeah. So actually, if you think about COVID itself, so there's the, the virus, but it has a very different impact of you depend on you, depending on whether you had underlying conditions or not. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, how the pandemic is affecting us, how having to be on Zoom, how having less contact with our coworkers, how that's affecting us depends on just how fragile we are. So yes, all five of these toxicities have been happening in organizations long before the pandemic, but it's now in the pandemic making some of us sicker because like I, you and I are both fortunate, right? Like my kids are 15 and 19. I shipped one off to university. She's in a different province. Uh, my 15 year old, she like makes dinner for us sometimes. Like it's a net positive. <laughs> My kids are a net positive in the pandemic. Right. There are other people who I'm in Toronto and right now our kids are virtual. There are people right now trying to work. And actually my, my cousin's wife posted the picture and she's, she works for the federal government. It's a picture of her desk and she's on one side and her eight-year-old is on the other and they are spending their work day together. She's trying to work with an eight-year-old facing her literally at the other side of the desk. So these toxicities where I might be able to handle a little bit more of the, the toxic waste of the, of the crap that's going on because, you know, my life is a little bit easier for her, you know, a, a coworker, you know, saying something out of line, a boss being intolerant or whatever else, that might just be the straw that breaks the camel's back because, so I think uh, what's happened is these things were there, they were building, but for one, some of us are more vulnerable to them right now because of our situation. Um, and the other thing is that the pandemic has allowed many of us to connect with things that now we're more excited about. So on the plus side, it may be, I've learned about this. I was reading this amazing story about somebody who was a VP in one of the big banks. And during the pandemic, she volunteered, she decided she wanted to be a florist. And so she had the time to go volunteer at the local flower shop, do some training. She quit her VP job at the bank to go be a florist. So, so some, it's not all downside. Some of it's like, I don't need that toxic workplace anymore, I can go do something I like better. So for both reasons, these underlying things that were building up in us before the pandemic are having very different impacts on each of us now that the pandemic is here. And I, and I wonder actually, then, if uh, for the reasons of the data that I see, and I know you see a lot of the same data. So in 2021, we had a lot of those frontline team members departing their roles uh, in larger masses and earlier than, if you will, the knowledge worker or the workers yeah. who had the uh, privilege to work from home, quote, safely, you know, yeah. in front of that webcam, maybe yeah. there's that lagging indicator, right, that um, the those toxicities, the toxins that you refer to, were more uh, paramount, you know, up front for the frontline member, whom said, forget it, like earlier than perhaps right. the knowledge worker, who's had a little bit more uh, contemplation time, 
behind yeah. that webcam, right? Is that is and that I, I the order that I said the components in maybe isn't a legit order. And I think what it is is that the front lines had the toxic customer and the toxic policies. Ah, good one. Um, and and those make you jump from the bowl sooner than the toxic leader or the toxic coworkers. Um, and I think the knowledge workers are less likely to have toxic policies or toxic customers and more likely to find their toxicity in these ones that takes a little longer to get to the lethal dose. You know, I think you're spot on there. I think your taxonomy has two uh, different prioritization top five, if you will, yeah. uh, for the two different types of workers. Really, I really yeah. like that. Interesting. Okay. So let's, uh, let's end on a positive note, right? What, oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be the doomsday lady. <laughs> <laughs> the apocalypse is nigh. Yeah. Um, wh what can I, as an individual, whether I'm a leader, we're all leaders of self, but whether I'm a leader of yeah. team or leader of self, like what are, what's a couple things that I should be just thinking about in this year ahead that's going to get me in that, you know, headspace of positivity as opposed to toxicity? Yeah, I think I, I love that question. And thank you for asking it because I really believe everyone, no matter what seat they're at at the table, has an opportunity to change their team and their environment for the better. So just start there. What can I control? And some of it is just like, do you notice this lately that, you know, you go into um, a restaurant or a store or somewhere in the, and the service employee is looking a bit harried. They're maybe a bit curt. And if you just stop and give them a big, huge smile, it's like you get a completely different person for the rest of the transaction. So understanding that, you know, there is a lot of toxic behavior going on, but it's amazing how much you can change the trajectory of people's behavior with a little bit of kindness, a little bit of empathy, a little bit of positivity. So just noticing how you, so here's one, like, Oh, hey, how are you doing, Dan? If your answer to that is always, I'm so busy, <laughs> it just puts a pall over the whole conversation. If you say, oh my goodness, I have so many cool things going on right now, which still means busy, yeah. but it's just as, then all of a sudden our whole conversation takes off in a different direction. So that's something so small, but just notice when you jump on the Zoom call, like what is the first vibe you're putting out into that meeting, right? Um, that's a tiny thing, but then just looking for where are the places. So when someone says something that I want to interpret as a little bit edgy, maybe they turn off their webcam while I'm giving a presentation and I want to jump to the conclusion that they were disinterested or ignoring me, you know, can I just catch myself and go, you know, maybe they actually have a kid doing school at home and they just ran naked through the back of the, <laughs> right? Or whatever. So First, just start each interaction with the most micro of things that create a little positive trajectory in the world. Second, catch yourself when you're assuming something is toxic and, and look for alternate explanations. Like just those two things alone, which can take place in the first 60 seconds of a conversation will start to change your team for the better. And it's amazing. It's really hard when you take the high road, it's really hard for other people to keep taking the low road. It just looks so conspicuous. So be the one that takes the high road first, just see where it leads. It'll, it'll go somewhere good. And if, and if it doesn't, then 
I'm all about the great reset, the great resignation. Maybe your team doesn't actually I said this to somebody last night. I said to her, um, I hope as soon as you can find a good option, you, you move somewhere that deserves you because I really believe she should resign because her workplace is toxic. So I, I, I don't want to be Pollyanna. I don't always want to say that smiling at your coworkers is going to make things better. I want you to try it first. And I want you to try questioning your own defaults and your own assumptions and your own labeling of things as toxic. But it, it may be that you question it and come to the conclusion, and I would come to it as well, this is toxic. And then, yeah, go, go be in the place that deserves you. Love it. Uh, Leanne, you're a gem. You're the best-selling author, New York Times best-selling author of You First, of, of course, this one, which I also love most recent, The Good Fight. Uh, can't thank you enough. Uh, I hope that you're safe, but uh, mostly thank you for what you're doing um, on LinkedIn. If you have not yeah. seen uh, Leanne- Connect with me on LinkedIn. Come sit on my LinkedIn couch. I'm trying to make it the coolest couch on the internet. Come sit on my LinkedIn couch. Let's talk it, about it these. It possibly topics. is the coolest couch on the internet. The the give that you have on that platform uh, free is just amazing. It utterly is amazing. So whether it's your videos, um, your posts, your interaction, you you actually interact with pretty much everybody that comments on there, and the dialogue is just amazing. It's it's like a LinkedIn MBA. Uh, on on how to behave in an organization, how to lead, how to lead self. So I just wanted to tip my hat to what you're doing on that platform because uh, there are so many beneficiaries to, to what it is that you're doing. So thank you, Leanne. My pleasure. And thank you, Dan. I, I, I love our conversations. Uh, all right, Leanne Davey, everyone, go check her out. Thanks again, Leanne.